want to welcome you to our study tonight and thank you for coming as we begin this new journey. We certainly want to commit it to the Lord, so let's bow and look to the Lord in prayer. Father, what a privilege it is to be together and to study the Word of God, and you have put in your Word some very important themes and doctrines that you want us to know. And I pray that as we begin a study of this one, Lord, that you would instill within us truth, help us to understand what you would want us to know so we can be good defenders of the faith. I pray that you just watch over this study and protect it and protect all who go through it. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was back in school in the 80s and learning doctrine from Mr. Miles, who learned it from Lewis Berry Chafer, I sat there in those classes thinking, why isn't this taught in the church? Because I was in churches, but they weren't teaching these things. And I kept thinking, why isn't this taught in the church? And so when we came to this church, we started a doctrine class, a systematic theology class, and we went through all of the doctrines, all of the major doctrines. It was a seven-year study. Mr. Kelly went through every one of those years, every one of those studies. In fact, there are some people in here that went through all seven years of the study, and now he teaches that doctrine. And what we've come to conclude is that all doctrines in the Bible concerning every subject are inspired, and all doctrines in the Bible are very, very important. Every doctrine that God has put in his word is sacred, and it's serious. And most doctrines in the Bible are neglected to some degree, and very few churches actually teach systematic theology or doctrine anymore. Most don't even teach it. But of all of the doctrines found in the Bible, there can be none more neglected or more serious than the doctrine of hell. If we were to poll most Christians who go to church and say, have you ever seriously, systematically crawled through the scriptures and studied the doctrine of hell, the vast majority would have to say, no, we've not. We've not done this. But to consider the fact that there's a real place where conscious souls go forever as punishment that is identified as hell is the most solemn of all the doctrines. And quite honestly, as you will see, the language that's used to describe this place throughout the scripture is scary and it's sad. And we think it's important and we think it's fitting to carefully crawl through the Bible to form the truth of our conclusions and convictions about the doctrine and subject of hell. So in the next few weeks, we would like to take you on a journey as best as we can, an exhaustive journey on the study of this doctrine. Now, the way we're going to do it is by question and answers. That's the way we cover doctrines. I think it's probably the most efficient way to study doctrine. You ask a question and answer it. And the first one is, what is the source of our information about hell? Dr. Chafer observed that the doctrine of hell does not come from human reason and will not be influenced by human sympathy. And that is so important to get a grasp on as we begin this doctrine. The source of our information about hell is the inspired written word of God. That's our source. That's the source for what we believe. Our authority for what we believe, our authority for what we think about hell is the written word of God. And may I just be dogmatic and say that is our only authority. The concept of hell 
that's accurate is going to come from the Bible. It's certainly not going to come from the feelings of human beings, and it's not going to come from the intellect of human beings. In fact, a lot of humans deny hell because they don't think it feels loving. So we don't base what we think about hell or any other doctrine on feelings or on human reason. We base it on the scriptures. The idea of eternal hell, the idea of eternal punishment, eternal condemnation, eternal perdition, eternal damnation is not the kind of doctrine that would ever originate from any human. Humans, quite frankly, don't like this doctrine. Which is interesting because most people want to believe in heaven. In fact, most people do believe in heaven, but very few take hell seriously. We'll examine many passages of scripture in this study, but we cite six here to show that hell is a stated and revealed biblical doctrine. And you'll discover as we look at these six passages tonight Four of the six come from Jesus Christ himself. In fact, you'll learn as we go through all of the passages in this study that a great majority of them come from Jesus Christ himself, who obviously knows about this place. So I'd like you to open to Matthew 5, and you'll notice in verse 22, in Matthew 5, 22, Jesus says, but I say to you that every one who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court, and whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Jesus said that. He refers to a fiery hell. We're not the ones saying it. He said it. Then if you go over to chapter 5 and drop down to verse 29 if your right eye makes you stumble tear it out throw it from you for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell jesus said that two times there's a place where people are thrown into and it's hell verse 30 if your right hand makes you stumble cut it off throw it from you for it's better for you to lose one of your parts of your body than your whole body go into hell so two times he mentions this place hell Go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And notice verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's talking about fearing God who is able to cast the soul and body into hell. Now why in the world would he say that if there's no hell? It doesn't even make logical sense, does it? Let's go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25 and verse 41. We're going to go through many, many passages in this study as we analyze this doctrine. But in Matthew 25, 41, then he will also say to those on his left apart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Now here, the Lord Jesus is talking about those that aren't in a right relationship with him being cast into eternal fire, the eternal fire, the fire, the eternal fire. Then go over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we read in verse 8, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the 
glory of his power. Now, Paul says there is a punishment place that God has. It's a place of retribution for those who have not responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he calls it a place of eternal destruction. And then Revelation 14, one more we go to, Revelation 14. And we're just giving you a little glimpse of six passages of Scripture In Revelation 14, beginning at verse 9, Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. So John saw this place of God's wrath where one is tormented with fire and brimstone forever and ever. Now, just by general way of observation, from those six passages, we see that the subject and doctrine of hell comes from the Bible. We're not the one who made it up. The subject of hell comes from the Bible. It's a biblical doctrine. And if it's a biblical doctrine, we need to know it. We need to know it. So that brings us to the second question, and that is, why study the doctrine of hell? The truth of the matter is, most have never studied this doctrine. And I can say this, because I own most systematic theologies that have ever been printed, and I've read them all. Most systematic theologies don't spend a lot of time dealing with this subject either. They gloss over it. But this is a serious, serious doctrine. And there are at least six biblical reasons why we're going to study this doctrine. First of all, because hell is a biblical subject God has revealed in his word. Now, the notes that we're going to give you and compile for you as we go along in this study, it kind of reminds me of What Mr. Miles told me happened to him back in 1939. He said that he was in class. Lewis Berry Chafer at that time was working on his systematic theology. He hadn't published it yet. He hadn't put it in book form. So he said every time we went to class, we would get these handouts in class that would take us through the study he was about to give us. And he said ultimately those handout notes became the whole backbone for his whole systematic theology that's now in print. So the reason why I say this is I'm still in the process of compiling things. I mean, I'm far advanced in my preparation of this, but I'm still working through things and we'll be getting handouts as we go on in this study. But where we're at tonight is there are at least 115 to 116 specific words in the Bible that I can calculate that refer to hell. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable. We also know that the Apostle Paul said we are to be diligent to accurately handle the word of God so that we would be unashamed people. So from that, we could conclude our job and responsibility is to know and defend what God has revealed, and hell is a critical doctrine in the Bible. We are to study and accurately understand what God has revealed. And as I just mentioned, right now, as of tonight, there are at least 115 to 116 specific words in the Bible that refer to hell. Now, you'll get this later in print, but I'll just give you an overview tonight. For example, 
And I'm talking about now the actual references to hell. Take Sheol when it refers to hell 65 times. Gehenna when it refers to hell 12 times. Hades when it refers to hell some say 10, some say 11 times. The abyss where people go for judgment 9 times. The pit of darkness, chains of darkness, cast into outer darkness 7 times. You'll get this in print later on. Abaddon is used six times. Fire and brimstone are used in a combination five times, and Tartaros is used one time. Now, those words are words that are direct references to hell, and God's the one who put them in his word. God's the one who revealed these words. Obviously, because he has put it in his word, he expects us to understand those words, recognize what they mean, and build doctrine on that. And that is why we're going to study it, because he's revealed it in his word. There are a lot of words in there that describe this place graphically, and it's hell. Secondly, because knowledge of hell is necessary to a proper perspective of God. Knowledge of hell is necessary to a proper perspective of God. Flip over to Psalm 7. In verse 11, we learn, Psalm 7, 11, God is a righteous judge, a God who has indignation every day. God is a righteous judge. Now flip over to Romans 9. And notice what we read in Romans 9.22. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? So we learn from Psalm, God is a righteous judge. We learn from Romans 9, he has a wrath side well, how does he demonstrate, or how is he going to demonstrate that he's a righteous judge with a wrath side by hell? That's how he's going to demonstrate it. Hell actually becomes a demonstration of truth about Almighty God. Wicked people are going to face God, and wicked people are going to face hell. And as we will see, the character of God demands the existence of hell. Hell wasn't created by Satan, I guarantee you that. Hell was not created by humans, it's created by God. Why? Because his character demands such a place. And the more we learn about hell, the more we learn about the character of God. Now here's where people make a big mistake when it comes to God. See, what most people want to do is they want to maximize the love side of God. Maximize the grace side of God. Maximize the forgiveness side of God. They want to minimize the just side of God. They want to minimize the wrath side of God. They don't want that. And the subject of hell basically says you can't minimize the justice of God. You cannot minimize the righteousness of God. At the end of the day, or better, at the end of life on earth, is a hell that's created by God for those who reject Jesus Christ. And that place will actually be a place that testifies of the greatness and the glory of God. So, because knowledge of hell helps give us a proper perspective of God, the perspective God wants us to have of him, by the way, not the perspective people necessarily have in and of themselves, this is the perspective God wants them to have of him, hell is part of that perspective. Now, the third reason we're going to study it is because the knowledge of hell is necessary to justify the cross work of Jesus Christ. If there's no hell, you don't need Jesus Christ. If there's no hell, you don't need the cross. 
You don't need Jesus Christ to come here and die on a cross if there's no hell. For God to actually permit his son to leave the glory of heaven as second member of the Trinity and go through what he went through on earth demands there is hell. Dr. Chaffer said, if God could save one soul from one sin by mere generosity, he could save all souls from sin by generosity, and the death of Christ thus becomes the greatest possible divine blunder. What Jesus Christ did, he didn't do for some lightweight reason. He didn't decide that he was going to leave heaven, come to this earth, go through the horrors that he experienced in life, then die on a cross, and then all of the tortures that led up to him dying on the cross, experience all of that to save people from something mundane. He didn't go through all of that just to save them so they could be good people. He's saving them from hell. The fact of the matter is, there has to be a hell to justify the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So that is why we study this doctrine. It is necessary to justifying the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ. A fourth reason we study this is because knowledge of hell is necessary to bring some to salvation. Go to Jude verse 23, if you would, please. Jude verse 23. And the text says that some people will be saved snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear. In other words, some people will really believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because they're afraid of hell, and that's a great reason to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people will be so afraid of going to hell and burning in fire, that will be what will drive them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jews says that's part of the doctrine of hell. I mean, there are some people that are saved by realizing I'll be kept out of the fire if I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the truth is, very few churches study the doctrine of hell or even talk about it. Most churches don't have this kind of study. They don't even have this kind of message. I mean, when people go to a lot of churches, all they hear about is that God loves you just the way you are. You're loved by God. Nothing bad's going to happen. You're all under the grace of God. You're all under the mercy of God. You're all experience the forgiveness of God. But when you read what Jude says here, what he writes here, is one of the things that does bring people to faith in Jesus Christ is the fear of being cast into eternal fire. And I think, ladies and gentlemen, hell should be studied because some people will conclude, I don't want to go there. I talked with a father who said to me one time, I don't want my children hearing about hell because it'll scare them and make them afraid. Exactly. Exactly right. That's why they need to hear about hell. They need to hear about hell to be scared and afraid. That's no place for anyone to want to go. When we come to terms with what hell is like, it ought to scare you. It ought to scare anybody to say, I don't want to go to that place. I want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and escape that place. So because knowledge of hell is necessary to bring some to salvation, we're going to study it. A fifth reason we're going to study hell is because hell is necessary to us knowing God will justly right many wrongs. I want you to go over to Revelation chapter 6. Just flip over a few pages to Revelation chapter 6. And notice verse 10. These are the martyrs that are killed shortly after the rapture of the church. 
and they're killed for their faith in the Lord because they came to faith after the rapture of the church. And they cried out, verse 10, with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. God is a just God, and there have been horrible, evil things done against God's people, and hell is a place that's going to justly settle those scores. And people need to understand this. They need to understand this about God. God is a just God. And hell is the place where perfect justice is going to be served. And people who mock God, people who mock God's people, people who make life hard for God's people and reject the Lord Jesus Christ, they need to know about this place. They need to understand why it exists. Because a person can temporarily mock God, hate the Bible, reject Jesus Christ, but then they need to understand when your life is over, when your life is over, eternal hell will be your place of existence. That is why it is so important that we study this doctrine. God is a God of justice. And people that are not responding to truth and not responding to grace are going to face a God of justice and they are going to go to this place of hell. The sixth reason why we study this is because hell is necessary for us to be encouraged, knowing that godly people will forever be blessed and separated from ungodly people who will forever be cursed and punished. I mean, there's a sense among God's people that you want God to intervene. I mean, you want God to hold people accountable. You want people who have mocked him, mocked his son, made mockery of the word of God. You want them held accountable. How's God going to hold them accountable? In hell. In hell. So for those reasons, we're going to study this doctrine of hell. Now, that brings us to the third question. What are the sources we reject as a source for information about hell, and there are four main sources we reject as our authority about hell. We'll probably cover one of them tonight. And the first one is, we do not base our view of hell on human reason. The truth is, the idea of hell is going to be able to be supported by human reason. I think Norman Geisler said it well in his theology when he said that the existence of hell is supported by many arguments from both the authority of God's word and the use of human reason. But the truth is, the concept of hell doesn't come from human reason, even though human reason can logically conclude there is hell. Frankly, humans have a mindset that revolts against this kind of doctrine. Most humans don't like this doctrine, and many, even some believers, try to dismiss it from their minds using some sort of rational arguments. They don't like to hear about a place of eternal retribution. Humans use their reason to argue against hell. They come up with humanistic arguments, almost like they do for the existence of God. And we'll discuss these matters along the way. But some of the humanistic arguments against hell is, well, now why would we punish people in hell? Why not just reform them in heaven? There's one of the arguments. Why punish people in hell? Why not just reform them in heaven? Well, God gives people plenty of time to reform. He gives people plenty of time to repent. Hell is for people that don't. 
Hell is not a temporal place of reform. That's not what hell is. Hell is an eternal place of punishment. Someone else says, well, isn't eternal punishment in hell a little much for temporal sins on earth? Sins are committed against the eternal God. And if one refuses the gift of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins against the eternal God, you'll pay an eternal price. Because it isn't temporal. You're sinning against an eternal God, so you'll pay an eternal price, and it'll be hell. How could we be happy in heaven knowing there are loved ones burning in hell? That's another argument against hell. Our happiness and worship in heaven is going to include people being in hell. Why? We'll understand more and more about God and more and more about his greatness. Also, heaven's going to be a wonderful, happy place where God will wipe away all tears So we're not going to sit around fretting about people that are burning in hell because we'll realize more of the justice of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, and we will also experience in our own lives more of the grace of God. So that won't be a problem. Number four, why would God create people he knew would go to hell? Their argument is, isn't non-existence better than existence if there is a hell? That's one of the arguments that abortionists use for abortion. They basically say, well, if all babies die and go to heaven, then if we just abort a baby, we're sending it off into heaven, which is that humanistic reason that comes into play. Of course, that gets into a whole theological issue I'm not prepared to address tonight, but then the assumption is that every child that's born anywhere is automatically going to heaven, and I don't necessarily think the Bible teaches that specifically. But what we would understand is God has a purpose for everyone. And just because people die every day in a car accident doesn't stop those who don't die from driving. I mean, the fact of the matter is people are here on earth. They have an opportunity to respond to God. They have an opportunity to get into a right relationship with the God who gave them life. And if they don't do it, hell will be where they'll end up. If God's goal is to save sinners, why have a hell where people can't be saved? God's only goal is not just to save sinners. The existence of hell where people cannot be saved satisfies the holiness of God. It satisfies the righteousness of God and the justice of God. We'll discuss that later. Actually, eternal hell is demanded by the character of an eternal God. Others reason, well, since people are born sinners and can't change that, then how is it right to send them to hell for that? Well, it's precisely this point that one is born a sinner that one needs to be born again. That's the whole point, isn't it? In other words, one is born a sinner, and people are offered grace, eternal salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. They can have a born-again experience through faith in Jesus Christ. They have that option, and if they don't respond to that option, they're going to burn in hell. The seventh argument is, why not just annihilate sinners and not eternally punish them in hell? Because humans are made in the image of God. You cannot annihilate something made in the image of God. It's going to live forever someplace. It may not live with the Lord in heaven, but it will live forever someplace. And if it doesn't live with the Lord in heaven, it will live in hell. The eighth humanistic reason is hell is contrary to the grace and mercy of God, so why would it exist? Well, grace and mercy and love are expressed at that cross of Jesus Christ. And the patience of God putting up with all kinds of abominable sins. Just look around at our world today and think of the abominable sins that God has just 
patiently enduring. His grace and mercy are giving people opportunities to believe in his son, but that grace and mercy does not eliminate his perfect holiness, justice, and righteousness. So that if a person rejects Jesus Christ, they're heading to this hell. And a final argument is everlasting punishment is not the same as being everlastingly punished. In other words, why not just punish the person and have it over forever like Sodom and Gomorrah? Why not just destroy the sinner and put them out of existence rather than have them burn forever? Well, again, we go back to this point. When one is created in the image of God, that means you're going to live somewhere forever. You are going to live somewhere forever. And since faith in Christ can bring one to eternal heaven, one who rejects Jesus Christ will end up in eternal hell. So it doesn't matter what the human argument or reason, we don't buy it. If it comes down to a choice that you believe the word of God or you believe someone's rationalistic arguments, you stick with the scriptures because you'll never go wrong doing that. Well, our time is long gone tonight. I want to thank you for coming. We're going to be covering a lot of information in this study in the next weeks. We have a great day planned for you on Sunday. We have Communion Sunday coming, and we have a great text in Romans, powerful text in Micah. So any questions about anything tonight we've covered? All right, thanks for coming. Good night. The Lord bless you.